You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. We're in the uh, the last installment of a five-week series being called Resolved. Now, Resolved just means to firmly determine to do something from which we get resolutions. How's everyone's New Year's resolutions going? So we're in February already, if you can believe that. We're in February already. And so sometimes we've discovered uh, resolutions can be hard to uh, follow through on. And so we're not talking about New Year's resolutions. We are talking about being resolved in some things that matter to God and so should matter to us. Uh, People matter to God and so people should matter to us. And so we've been using this series to walk through um, a very practical, very simple tool that we've used in this church for several years and Coming out of the pandemic, we really felt that we wanted to re-engage a lot of you. A lot of people of you who have joined our church uh, since then would know. And it's called Pepsi. And it's just an acronym, P. It's a little business card, P-E-B-C-I. If you do not have one yet, you can grab one at the connection table. And then on the back is uh, places for you to put some names. And so what we've been doing is we're saying we want to start praying for people. Pray, P. We want to start Eating people, no, eating with people. <laughs> we want to start building relationship with people, and food is one of the great ways to do that, or a coffee, or just building a, 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 just a relationship, a friendship with someone. We're looking at ways to bless them as we get to hear them, as we get to hear the story, as we get to hear things that are happening in their lives. We can pick up on things that would be blessings to them. Maybe it's a very practical thing. Uh, maybe if it's a gift, maybe it's a word of encouragement we can give them. Whatever way we're looking to, we want to bless them. Uh, and then last week we looked at what it means to then connect those people, connect them relationally, not just with ourselves, but connect them hopefully with other people in our church community. Um, loneliness is a big Big uh, challenge, a big epidemic in our city, in most major cities, but particularly in our city here, we know loneliness. A lot of people uh, suffer from loneliness, even though we're a city of over 3 million people, even though we're connected with all these social media things, um, we're more lonely than ever before. And so connection can be a really important step. And so today we come to the last one, I invite, invitation. Uh, do you remember the last invitation that you got to something? Maybe it was something small, invitation to a coffee, to catch up with a friend, maybe it's an invitation to a movie, maybe it's an invitation to a wedding. Anyone got an invitation to a wedding recently? Uh, I remember years back, early in the days, um, I'm going to take you years back. So Chantal and I, we cut our teeth on youth ministry back in Cape Town. And uh, we had a growing youth ministry team. And one of the leaders there, um, she was incredible. Um, and um, it was a very long story that I'm going to have to just put into a few seconds. But she was pursued by an actor from Hollywood. They were shooting a film in Cape Town. I don't even know how they got like into the same circles, but somehow they got in the same circles. And all of a sudden, we had this, it was a B-list actor. It wasn't an A-list actor, but it was a B-list actor. You'd know some of his movies. And she got pursued by him. And so I, we just kind of felt like protective mom and dad, like, okay, what are your intentions? I mean, it's kind of... And so eventually their courtship landed in a wedding, and we got an invite to that wedding. And we were two tables away from a Samuel L. Jackson which was pretty, I know, it's a story I love to share. Like, how can I work this into a conversation? I was two tables away from Sam. It was an intimate wedding. I don't know, 50, 60 guests in this magnificent mansion, beautiful place in Cape Town. And so that was an invitation we really enjoy getting and going to that. And so an invitation, whether it's big like that or whether it's small, 
it has a sense of acceptance, of belonging, of validation. Hey, I want you here. I want your presence here at my birthday party, at a coffee or whatever. But with any kind of invitation, inherent in invitation is a commitment or a challenge, right? It's a time commitment. Maybe you were invited here this morning. Uh, thank you for taking up that invitation. It's a commitment, right? You had to make a commitment of your time. It was probably a social and emotional commitment. I'm meeting new people. Some of you are really energized by that. God bless you. Uh, for a lot of us, when we like, thought of new people, terrifies us. Oh my gosh, new people, that sounds horrible, especially on a Sunday morning. Many other things I want to do than meet new people. But you're here. But it takes a commitment. It's a challenge to step out and do something specific. And so what I want to lead in with today is this idea of invitation and challenge kind of being intertwined with one another. And you see it all throughout the ministry of Jesus. Now, we do not have the time to exhaustively walk through the ministry of Jesus. So just take my word for it. But we are going to select a couple of things that you can see it in practice. And I believe that this is the posture uh, that we want to have as we consider us being um, individuals in a church that wants to be outward focused, that wants to look to pray for our city, uh, build friendship and relationship with people in our city, bless, connect, and invite our city into what God is doing. So, invitation and challenge. When you think about some of your best teachers, uh, I remember learning, I was in high school, and I took two years of learning an African language, Kosa or Osa, you've got to get the click right. And um, everything about me is not African language, um, but I was invited by this particular teacher to give it a go. And it was one of my favorite teachers, and he made that language come alive. And he challenged us uh, to be in circles where people speak that language. And I remember as like a 13, 14-year-old with my broken cause, like going up to these African women <laughs> and just greeting them. And their eyes would just be like wide open, and then they would just come back with this just amazing, like, I have no idea. I like that. I'm not there yet. Like, But they were so appreciative that here was this white kid and trying to learn their language. After two years, he moved to a different school, and well, I didn't take it, so I don't know much cause as it is today. But if you think about your best teachers, if you think about a coach you had, if you had a dance instructor, if you had a gym instructor, you'll probably see a pattern of an invitation of welcome. You can do this, validation, but also challenge. Also challenge, pushing you to do something, to take a step in a loving way. And so that's what we're going to be looking into today and leaning into today. So I want to open with the scripture, and then we're going to kind of circle around it and then come back to it. But the scripture, for some of you, this will be a well-known scripture. It's a, a very favorite scripture for a lot of people. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, it's the words of Jesus, and he says this. Come to me, and see if you can hear the, the language of invitation and challenge and what he's saying. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so, Father, we do come to you today. Many of us are wearied. Many of us are burdened. God, many of us are exhausted. Uh, maybe not physically, but maybe emotionally, spiritually. And so I thank you that we can take up your invitation to come to you. And so we do come to you today, God, and we, we're asking that you would uh, speak life into our hearts today through your truth. Open up your scripture let us hear what you want us to hear today, Father. We ask this in your name, by your spirit. Amen. So, Jesus regularly 
interacted with people. If you look at the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see over 40 interactions with a variety of individuals, of people interacting with them. And so if we just scan that, what could we learn from that? And so to help you, I'll just summarize a couple of things we can learn from that. Number one, he asked a lot of questions when he was in conversation with people. Almost 50% of a half of those interactions, he's asking questions. I think it was Bird or one of us was speaking earlier in the series about curiosity. Have a curiosity about the people that are in front of you, asking questions. And so Jesus, we find, asks lots of questions. Secondly, initiative. He takes initiative in some of those conversations, but he also responds to the initiative of others, people asking him questions. And so likewise, we should be both, be willing to respond as people maybe ask us questions, but at the same time also initiating and getting other people to think about some deeper things. Um, the third thing we can look from that example is almost always he met them on their turf. Very rarely was he in any kind of religious setting like the temple or the synagogue. Interesting, right? And sometimes for us, uh, I think Bert touched a lot on this last week, sometimes for us we, we feel it's dangerous to go into settings that are uncomfortable for us. But not for Jesus. He met people where they were at. And so that's something for us to remember, something for us to be cognizant of as we interact with people. And then lastly, he seemed very interested in trying to establish common ground with whoever he was interacting with. He didn't have a formula. He didn't have a set plan to go in. didn't have the four laws or something like that. I'm not knocking any of that. But he established common ground with the person he was speaking to. And so those are some very uh, helpful ways for us to think about as we learn from his example of interacting with people. But here's the, the clincher. Another thing we learn is, is Jesus' love for others involved both invitation and challenge. He was consistently inviting people to walk with him, to eat with him, to hang out with him, to get to know him. And then obviously we see throughout Scripture he's also challenging people. Um, as somebody has said before, Jesus' invitation is to all, but that's not all. It's not just, come on, hey, invitation, welcome, hang out, you're accepted here, just let's have a feast, hang out. It's part of it. But that would be doing a disservice to the people if you just left it like that. He wants to bring good change into their lives. He wants to see them grow to be all that God destined them to be. And so some of you, as we go through this, you're going to be more invitation people. Oh, I love the invitation. People like, like to get invites. People like you when you invite them. And some of us, we're not very challenged people. Like, oh, sometimes people don't like to be challenged. I don't like to be challenged. And so it's going to be a bit of a challenge for you to hear this today. But take both. And some of you who are too ready to challenge people, maybe you need to learn a little bit more from the invitation people. Be more gracious with people as well. And so you might find yourself on a spectrum between these two poles of invitation and challenge. But if we're going to love like Jesus, it's both and, not either or. It's both and and not either or. And so Jesus' invitation is to all, but that's not all. He doesn't leave us there. He's always giving us a next step to engage with, always pushing us, not pushing us in a driven sense, but uh, challenging us to take a next step. In fact, um, other people have done this, this is not to me, but there's almost four clear kind of stages of invitation and challenge you see throughout Jesus' life, particularly with those who want to follow him. The first stage is the come and see stage. And this is where he's inviting people to experience them. Come, let's have a meal together. Let's hang out. Levi, where Where's your, where's your house at? I'm coming to you 
to you for dinner tonight. We looked at that, looked at Levi, who, who was a tax collector, despised, became Matthew the disciple. How did he become Matthew the disciple? Part of it was Jesus saying, I'm coming to your place for dinner tonight. And we're going to hang out. And I know the kind of crowd that you roll with. It's okay. Let them come. And so it's come and see. Come and experience. Come and get to know. But it doesn't stay there. The second stage is a come and be. You know, think of his challenge to Andrew and Peter, some of the earliest disciples. Come. There's invitational words. Come. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. This is a challenge to grow. This is a challenge to change. This is a challenge to be in the presence of Jesus, but recognize he doesn't want to just leave you there. He's got plans for you. He's got an agenda for you, and it's a good agenda for your life. It's to get rid of some of the dysfunction in your life, bring function in your life, and let you live the life that God intended for us to live as we align our lives with how best to live. So come and be. But then it's come and do. Here's the invitation and the challenge to participate in his ministry. Don't be a spectator. Don't be a bystander. Don't just enjoy the free food. All right? Don't just hang out in the come and see stage. Let's go do some stuff together. And we see him challenging his disciples to go and do some of the stuff that he was doing and coming back and rejoicing with them in their successes and kind of laughing at them in their failures. It's like, okay, that's not the point of it. All right, let's get back. Let's circle up again. It's not about who's more powerful. Let me tell you this. And then the last stage is the come and go stage. This is when we get to replicate his mission. He entrusts us so much now that he says, you go and do likewise. Do what you see me do, and I am with you as you do that. And so I don't know where you might find yourself on that spectrum, but those are some of the invitations and challenges that Jesus has for all of us. Uh, Many examples, but one I'm just going to get to, and we're going to come back to that Matthew 11, so just hold on there. But we see his love through invitation and challenge um, in a particular encounter that he has with uh, what's called the, uh, the rich young ruler. And so if you're unfamiliar with the story, I'm going to seriously paraphrase it for you, but you can go read it another time. It's in all three Gospels, I think, but Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 10. So this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and it says that he comes to him, and it says he falls on his knees, which, one, is an act of incredible humility. And it's an act of worship, really. And so we've got this rich young ruler, and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And he asks Jesus a question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, 21st century evangelical Christians, we hear, what must I do to eternal life? We hear, how how do I get to heaven? That's not what he's talking about. Eternal life for him is life of the kingdom. How can I have this life? Not just there, afterlife. How do I have that here and now? How do I enter the kingdom of God and experience all that he has for me in this life and the next? That's what he's asking. So Jesus loves questions like that. And so what does Jesus do? He begins to say, well, you know what it is. To obey the commandments, right? He's kind of playing into the narrative of the time. Like if you obeyed the commandments, that was a way to inherit the kingdom of life. And it's interesting. He starts with the Ten Commandments, but he doesn't start with commandment number one. He starts with Second half of the Ten Commandments. If you know anything about the Ten Commandments, you know the first four commandments are all directly related to our relationship with God. No gods before me, no idols, blah, blah. But all the second half of the commandments are relationships one to another. Very much easier to track. Don't steal. Have you stolen something? No, okay. Don't lie. Have you lied? No. Don't commit murder. It's kind of black or white. You've either committed murder or you haven't. So very trackable. And so he says, I've done all those, and I've done all those since a young kid. And now 
This is where we pick it up in the story. And listen to this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. What does love look like? One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, we can misinterpret that. It's not a commentary on the badness of wealth, although there is some, some truth to that. But for this particular man, that's the thing. That was the thing that was hindering him from obeying the first commandment. You should have no gods before me. Wealth, possessions, that's where he got his security from. That's where he got his salvation from. That's where he got his life from. What's your thing? Maybe it's not wealth. Maybe it's not possessions. Maybe it's a sense of being respected. Maybe it's a sense of being accepted um, or having power or comfort or a career or being seen as successful or educated or smart or talented or beautiful or a myriad of ways that we all have the thing. And Jesus is going to go after the thing. Why? Because he looks at you and he loves you. And he loves you enough to challenge you. And so if you're going to follow me, and it's interesting, this one, he reverses it, right? He challenges the guy and then he says, come follow me. And that was an invitation to be in his inner circle. Jesus was not giving that out to everyone. It's come follow me. And so Jesus looked at him and loved him. Love looks like invitation and it looks like challenge. And so if we're genuinely going to love one another, we're also going to need to have a balance of invitation and challenge. And so let's circle quickly back to Matthew 11. Come uh, to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And so the first invitation, it's a relational invitation. The relational invitation is to come to me. Come to Jesus. It's a relationship. It's not come to a philosophy, although Christianity has philosophical principles. It's not come to a principle. Here's the principles to live life. Bible's full of great principles. It's not primarily come to a doctrine, although we have doctrine. It's come to me. It's an invitation to a relationship, and with that relationship comes rest. And so all of us, in religious ways and irreligious ways, uh, try to build our lives apart from Jesus, separate from Jesus. Uh, in another way, Jesus would say we're trying to save our lives. But in trying to save our lives, we invariably lose our lives. Versus those who are willing to lose their lives will in fact save their lives. Jesus had full of those kind of stuff like you. He's always like talking these kind of languages. But think about the ways we try to save our lives. For religious folk like you and me, the ways we try to save our lives. Sometimes we think that if I do stuff for God, it's going to save me. You know, even though we know it's by grace, but it's like, well, I had a good quiet times track this week. God must love me extra special. I'm in church regularly. He must be. I'm tithing. I'm giving. God owes me. We begin to think like that. We, we forget the grace part of it. We begin to try to save ourselves by doing stuff, by behaving in the right way, believing in the right way. Not to say that it's inherently bad, but when that becomes the focus, then it becomes kind of like a God in our lives. For irreligious, also irreligious ways, we, we try to save ourselves by being successful. We think like that's going to be the way that's to have a good life, to have a good life. Or family, 
I must have a family if I'm going to be fulfilled. Or a myriad of other ways, a career, and all those are good things. They're actually gifts. Family's a gift. A career is a gift. Money, wealth, possessions are gifts. Not to say that they're bad, but when they get elevated to a place in our lives that rivals God, then it's destructive. Destroys lives. And you, you see it. Destroys lives. How much is enough? Well, just one more thing for the person who wants to build and save their lives through possessions and wealth. How much love is enough? Well, just one more relationship, just one more sexual encounter, just one more high, just one more, one more. It's always, it's a hedonic treadmill. You just get on that thing and it just keeps you busy. It's always chasing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. That makes people weary and burdened. And Jesus said, you want to get rid of that? Come to me. Ah, we love that. All right, so remember that. But here's the relational challenge. Come to me. Come Follow me. Now that's not a call, that's a call to relationship, but that's a call to a very specific kind of relationship. In, in that time, it was a call to be a disciple. Maybe that's a bit lost on us today. Maybe an apprentice would be a better word. Even today at trade schools, if you go to trade school to learn a trade, apprenticeship is a, is a great model of learning a trade. What apprentice does is they, they're with the mentor, they're trying to become like the mentor and what they're doing, and they're trying to do what the mentor is telling and showing them to do. And if they spend enough time, maybe two, three years, they then become skilled in that trade that they were learning. They become an apprentice, and then they in turn can now go and help others learn that trade. That's the kind of idea we're getting when we're talking about discipleship or apprenticeship. Because Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And so every rabbi, every teacher, every Jewish teacher, rabbi, had a yoke like Jesus. A yoke was a Hebrew expression for the collection of teachings that that rabbi had, the way that they interpreted scripture, and what they thought was the best way to live life, to flourish in God's world. And so you would become a disciple of a particular rabbi. You would be with them. You'd become like them. And you would do the things that they would do. There's a beautiful first century Jewish blessing that goes like this. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And that's a picture of you just physically following your rabbi wherever you went. And that's what Jesus' disciples did, like literally the dust because today they didn't have like tarmac and whatnot. It's a beautiful picture and way of seeing what it means to be an apprentice. And so my question to you, my question to me is we are all covered in the dust of something or someone. We all follow something or someone. We're all an apprentice of something or someone. The question is, is it a good one? Is it some political figure? Is it a influencer, a celebrity? Is it social media? Is it what dust are you covered in and how is it going for you? Whose dust are you covered in and how is it going for you? So to take Jesus' yoke means to follow him and reorient our lives around him and have him at the center. John McComer, he writes a lot about this. Um, he's a great author if you want to get it stuck into more apprenticing Jesus. But he says it like this. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. 
You want the freedom Jesus brings? You want the light and easy yoke he offers? You want the fulfillment that he promises? You want the eternal life for Shangula? Great, adopt my lifestyle. Follow me. And so that's his invitation and his challenge to us. So relational challenge means adopting the posture of an apprentice, to be with, to become like, and do as Jesus does. And so the various ways in which Jesus interacts with people like the rich young ruler and other people that we haven't covered reminds us that every person's journey is unique. Every person's invitation and challenge is unique. And you see that in the life of Jesus. And so he might, he might meet another wealthy person and tell him to sell anything. And so that's where we make the mistake. Well, Jesus hates rich people. No, he doesn't. Um, but each person's invitation and challenge is unique. And so we can learn a lot about Jesus' approach from mathematics. Want to do some mathematics on a Sunday morning? Anyone up for some mathematics? We'll do this very briefly. Yeah, I've got a couple of hands at the back there. All right. The posture that we want to adopt is comes from mathematics set theory, bounded versus center set approach. We'll do this very quickly. Don't worry. The term comes from the field of mathematics set through in the last four decades, it's become applied much more broadly to sociology and missiology. And so in the 1970s, a guy by the name of Paul Hebert from Fuller Theological Seminary suggested our minds, particularly in the West, tend to understand and categorize people in two ways, bounded set approach, centered set approach. Bounded set is this, very simply, it's formed by defining boundaries. It's very black and white, who's in and who's out. And belonging to the in is based upon alignment with the beliefs and the behaviors of the insiders. Examples, right? Political party. You're either a Republican or you're not. You're either a liberal or you're not. Religion. You're either a Hindu or you're not. You're a Christian or you're a non-Christian. Right? Some may even apply it to fans, hardcore fans. You're either a fan or you're not. There's no middle ground. No, no, no. You're not just jumping on the bandwagon. Just because Taylor Swift is now a Kansas City fan, you're not a Chiefs fan for life. No, no, no. You're either a fan or you're not. And they define what a fan is by the insiders. And they judge people based on that. Right? That's bounded set. It's bounded set thinking. You're in, you're out. And it can be very helpful, actually. Boundaries can actually be very helpful. Centered set is formed by defining the center. And it's not are you in and out, is which direction towards or away from the center are you going. And it it affirms that everyone has some relationship to the center. Some are just closer, some are further. It's direction. It's not in and out, it's direction. And so, example, let's choose fan. Fan. You could be a fan of a team. When I arrived here in 2013, I had never watched a hockey game in my life. The first hockey game I watched, the Maple Leafs blew a 4-1 lead against the Boston Bruins within five minutes, and they were knocked out of the, the playoffs, I think it was that year. Diehard fans know exactly what I'm talking about. Aaron will be weeping. I had no idea. This is like, this is great. The person I was watching says, well, if you're a Leafs fan, this happens a lot. If you're going to be a Leafs fan, you're going to be set up for disappointment. Ten years in, I am a Leafs fan. Why? Because I've had ten years of disappointment. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Now, at the beginning, my orientation was moving towards, and I wasn't nearly towards the centers as the people are, but I'm a little lot closer than I was now. And so you could look at it that way. Or health. Put health at the center. 
and de- depends what you judge by health, but some of us, does, maybe health is not a size, health is not a number, but it's an orientation. Are you moving towards becoming more healthy or away from healthy? And so that could be a helpful way of looking at it. All right, bringing it to Jesus, because this is really helpful a lot of times in thinking about churches. And some of you can already see where we're going. Some churches are very bounded set. Do this, 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 you're in. And if you're not in, oh, you're out, and we'll let you know that you're out. And so we want to be careful of that. You say, which is better? Both. We, we're trying to, like, which is, is bounded? Jesus displayed both. So let me put a visual before you to see maybe it'll be more helpful like this. And so if you look at bounded set versus centered set, bounded set, very clear boundary. The problem with boundary set is you've really got to police that boundary. It takes a lot of energy to police that boundary. Centered set, I'm either moving toward or away from that center. So we think about Jesus. It's a really helpful way, I think, centered set approach really helps us in terms of this series and what we're trying to do with Pepsi is to think a little bit more centered set. Because then you can meet with person and maybe they don't display any signs that they would be in or interested. But if you're centered set, well, they're somewhere in relation to Jesus. I've got to find out where. Are they toward him or away from him? And how can I help them maybe turn? Just to get like, hey, Jesus, know about him, heard about him. Jesus model, Jesus challenged often the Pharisees' bounded set thinking. They were very bounded set. You know, these are the people that are in. You do this, 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 this. And he challenged that. He says, ah, oh, you think the people are in. But I'm telling you, the people that you think are in are actually out. The people you think are out, <laughs> they're actually closer to the kingdom of God than you realize. And so he shook that up. He disrupted that thinking. So Barnett said, people, take heed, right? You're going to disrupt and mess up your little categories. What's a Christian? What's not a Christian? Mm, it's not as clear as you think. Why? But on the centered set approach, you say, well, that's too fuzzy. Like, there's no boundaries. It just sounds too like, oh. Well, Jesus is also very clear of what it means to follow him. Very clear. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Do the will of my Father. Not believe the right things. Do the will of my Father. Very clear. He's very clear in many ways. And so he adopted both. And so, but I think a centered set approach is a little bit more helpful for us as we think about Pepsi, as we think about the kind of church culture that we want, as we think about trying to help people move toward Jesus. Because it recognizes that people come to Jesus from very different directions. There's one way to God, it's through Jesus, but there are a myriad of ways to Jesus. And so, who am I to say there's only one way to Jesus? And so they might be somewhere there, but there's a myriad of ways. Secondly, it also affirms being a Christian is a lifelong journey, not a one-time decision. Now, again, bounded set thinking is very helpful. I think there are very clear demarcations when you do become a Christian. But I think God knows that more clearly than we do sometimes. Sometimes salvation is a process, not a one-time event. Being a Christian is a journey. It's not a one-time thing. It's not just, I believe the right things, I say the right things, I'm a Christian. It's like, well, how does it look out in your life? And I think Jesus challenges on that. I was with uh, a gentleman today. He's a pastor at the Salvation Army, doing incredible work, born and raised in Toronto, traveled around the world, did some ministry all over the world, even time in South Africa, connect on that. And he's saying, coming out of the pandemic, their congregation on the Sundays changed so dramatically. They've ha- they have a lot of recovery groups that meet on a Sunday morning. And he said, um, they just, they've just been a delight. He says, I'm in my 60s and I'm, I'm more alive in ministry than ever before. 
And I'm just trying to not get in the way of what Jesus is doing amongst these people. And he says what's, and he said something that struck me. I've been mean, thinking about it since I met him this week. He said, you know, there's some people here, they'll say to me, I don't know if I believe in God, but I'm seeking him. And I, I don't know what it was about that statement, but it just, it stuck, it stuck with me. And it's haunting me. I don't know if I believe in God, but I am seeking him. They're facing toward the center. Because you know, and I know, there are a myriad of people who believe the right things about God, behave like they believe in God, but are not seeking him anymore. They're in fact turned and moving away from the center. But everything about them sounds right and looks right. And I think this is what Jesus was trying to warn us. Like, hey, be careful. Be careful if you think you're in because you believe a certain creed. You do your duty of showing up to church every now and again, giving whatever it is, whatever your thing is that you think is makes you in the in crowd. He says, these people, they don't believe in God. They don't even know believe in God, but I'm seeking him. Those are hearts. That's direction. And so it affirms that we're to be on a lifelong journey of moving toward Jesus. Actually reminds me of something C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity. And so C.S. Lewis said, you really have to listen to him. You can say what I say is garbage, but Jesus and C.S. Lewis, I mean, you can't be ignoring that. So here we what he said. The world does not consist of 100% Christians and 100% non-Christians. There are people, a great many of them, who are slowly ceasing to be Christians, but who still call themselves by that name. Some of them are clergymen. There are other people who are slowly becoming Christians, though they do not yet call themselves so. I believe some of those people are on your Pepsi card. They would not call themselves a Christian. They wouldn't even have language for that. But I believe their heart is beginning to turn toward the center of Jesus or community or whatever it is that they're learning for, yearning for, and longing for. And I believe Pepsi is trying to get us to intersect with those kind of people. And it's trying to get on their turf like Jesus did. And it's trying to dismantle any ways that they feel the church has hurt people like them because of their in-out bounded set thinking. And, well, God must think like that. You're in and you're out. And I think there's some people on our cards that are a little closer to the center than we might realize. And so I think we want to lean into that. So what does this look like practically? Let's end with this. What does invite mean on our Pepsi card? Invite means simply this. You're always asking of the person that you're praying for, of the person that you're eating with, building a friendship with, of the person that you're looking to bless, looking to connect with. You're asking the simple question, what's the next step? That's it. What's the next step toward Jesus? What's the next step towards Jesus' community, the church? What's the next step towards Jesus' mission? And I put those three because I think those are three key components of following Jesus. It's following Jesus. It's being part of a community that follows him. It's called the church. And it's doing the stuff that he's called us to do. But some might start at the st- doing the stuff. A lot of young people are very passionate about social justice issues. That's amazing. That's kingdom stuff. Talk about injustices in the world and putting things right. God's all about that. Get them to come and volunteer at Adam House. Or we can go along to my friend here, the Salvation Army, and help serve meals to people who are recovering addicts and that kind of thing. And maybe God does something in their heart that gets them connected in the community that eventually gets them to Jesus.
And so what is the next step? What is the next step? What's this person's next step towards Jesus, towards community, towards mission? And so I actually skipped this, but I want to go by Joanne if you can quickly, and we'll end with this. The uh, invitation and challenge matrix. This is why we need a balance. And sometimes you're going to need more challenge in a relationship and less invitation. Sometimes you want more invitation and challenge, but you've got to have a balance because if you don't have a balance, it's not going to look like love. So look at the bottom off. That's low invitation. Like you're not a very gracious person. You're just all about challenge. Okay. And I love those people. I have some of those people in my life. Very, very, uh, very clear, kind of very prophetic in some ways. Like it's always challenging to be around them. Like, oh gosh, and I need that in my life. I love them. I love the way that God's wired them like that. But if you're always like that, it can be hard to be around you. <laughs> so low invitation. And low challenge, it's not even worth speaking about. The apathy, indifferent, I don't care. Can you imagine being in a friendship like that? Someone doesn't care how you live your life. Like, yeah, I don't know, you're taking drugs, I don't care. You're going to divorce your wife, I don't care. You're going to jump off this building, I don't care. It's like, not even towards apathy, we don't want to be that. But, true confession, some of us responded last week when Bert was praying and, and you said, I'm, I'm the problem, I'm self-absorbed, I'm apathetic towards people. And so, let's trust God that changes our heart. What if I'm low invitation but high challenge all the time? That's aggressive. You're trying to fix people. You're judgmental. You can come across as judgmental. You might not feel like you might be trying to love them, but you can come across it all the time. Let's go to the top. What if it's high invitation? Welcome, love you, accept you. You're the best. You do. You, I, Jesus loves you. loves everyone. Jesus my homeboy. He's your homeboy. You're just acceptance. God, love is love. We love, 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 love. That, that, but no challenge. No challenge. God forbid I ever challenge you and offend you. No challenge. Well, you're what we call an avoider. Or another modern word, an enabler. You're just enabling them to continue in their life. Jesus is not going to enable the rich young man to continue his life because you're successful. It's going to destroy you. I have nothing against wealth, but your wealth is going to destroy you, and I don't want you to see destroyed. And so here's the plan. Let's not avoid this. Let's challenge this. The Jesus way of love is high invitation, high, high challenge. And it's hard. It's hard for personalities like me. It's hard for some of you like that because we don't like to challenge people because we like to be liked by people. But if we genuinely love people, sometime we're going to need to challenge them in loving ways. And if we've been invitational towards them, they're going to receive it perhaps a little bit better than a judgmental. And so as we end, as we invite the worship team to come back up, as we continue in our service, is there something that you can invite someone to? Maybe it's a, a service like this. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's to another coffee. Maybe it's praying about what is their next step. And this is for people in your Pepsi card. This is also for people in your small group. This is for people in a, in a relationship that you're with, that, that we can challenge one another towards Jesus, the center, challenging towards them. That we're not just going to drift and get cold. And so I come back to Jesus' words to you and I. The invitation still stands for every single one of us. It's the relational invitation of come to me. Come to me. Some of you, you're facing away from him. Come to me. The direction of your heart is being pulled in other directions. And today's your day to come to me. And then the relational challenge to all of us is not just come to me, but come follow me. Come and get some dust. Jesus' dust on your life, if you like. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that 
we see modeled in your character just incredible invitation. You're just gracious, you're merciful. God, you reach out consistently. We see that most evidently in Jesus taking on humanity, human flesh for us, entering through the incarnation, living within the limitations of humanity, Lord. God, we also see your challenge. Well, that you, you bring judgment on all the ways, all the ways that we try to save ourselves, all the ways we try to build a life for ourselves apart from you, Lord. Whether we do that individually, collectively, even as churches and ministries, even as nations, you look at that and you condemn it, you judge it. Not because you're spiteful, but because you love us. And you know it will destroy us. And so you offer the invitation, the challenge to come to you today and to follow you. And so I pray for every person sitting here, every single person sitting here has some response to you today, Jesus. And so would you help them take the next step? Would you give them clarity what that next step may be? Maybe it's a conversation to be had, pray to be prayed. Maybe it's something more radical, whatever that may be, God. Would you enable every single person to take a step toward you today? I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.